Forward with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here. For the week trending, we're joined by Brianna Parkins, Irish Times columnist and Lorca Nine, Head of Training at the Communications Clinic. Um, Brianna, I wonder how many goals did they have at getting Donald Trump's mugshot? Or was it a one-shot, do you think? I think it's a one-shot deal. Um, I'd like to think that he was practising heavily. Yeah, like every time he passed a reflective surface in his house, which there are many of them in Mar-a-Lago, he just would have been practicing that non-stop. Downstairs, Lou, hours in there, just practicing, trying to get that leer right. And it's a marketing opportunity. So in the other offenses that he'd been, well, I don't know that they're called offenses in America, but the other things that he's been booked for, um, he didn't have a mugshot because the argument was he is so well known, his countenance is so well known that it kind of makes the, the mugshot, you know, not really important. We know what he looks like. Um, so his campaign generated sort of a mock-up mugshot and we're selling them on, I don't know, shirts, mugs for about $36. Oh, in advance even yes. of yesterday's mugshot? Because I thought immediately what the hucksters are going to do is they're going to use this on cups and T-shirts, aren't they? Already there. They were already there when he didn't have proper mugshots. They had to mock up ones because the, 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 you know, the administrators of those states were like, eh, you're fine, we know what you look like. But it was just Georgia who requires a mugshot for a felony offence who are like, nope, you're getting one. Okay. I wonder though, you know, he obviously had the hair ready for it. He also had the fake tan on. But you know where some people are now these days, and I'm not thinking of people close to home perhaps, but checking every photograph that's taken. Oh, no, no, don't like that. Delete that. Take it again. So you think that maybe he asked him to go four, five, six hours? No, he would have been... Well, I mean, the way that he would have done on The Apprentice, I mean, if you read the stories of the way when he was a presenter, they, they would have had to have multiple takes to get it exactly the way he wanted it. I'm not sure if he had that control, but he still got the outcome that he wanted uh, in this scenario. He's absolutely delighted with the image that he got. He's absolutely delighted to have a mugshot. The only thing that would have impacted him on the mugshot would be if he looked dishevelled. And he didn't look dishevelled. That's what people wanted. They want him to look like this is a broken man. He's had a tough time. He did not look like that. Rudy Giuliani looked like that. Donald Trump did not. And um, so he does look ridiculous. He looks ridiculous in particular because he seems to have pointed his eyebrows in a way that he normally doesn't. <laughs> that he has a little twirl on the end of the eyebrows. Like, like, like the Grinch uh, who stole Christmas. I've seen it said that he's very in that vibe. He does look ridiculous, but he looks how he wants to look and he doesn't look dishevelled. Which means he can now say persecution, persecution, persecution and it has been the saving of Donald Trump And indeed there's a listener who claims not to be a fan of Trump but saying but this has been a better week for Donald Trump than it has been for Joe Biden because Trump you know, gives us the persecution bet whereas Biden bumbled around Hawaii yeah, so it's like I have been on active firegrounds. Um, being an Australian, I've, I've been there as a journalist, and also my dad's a firefighter. It's his job to go in and investigate and, and do what those people on the ground were doing when Biden was speaking to them. And you're going into a community that is incredibly traumatized, incredibly sensitive. You've got people who have lost their houses, everything they own, and they can they consider themselves to be the lucky ones if they haven't lost any family. So he was already going into a community that was, you know maybe not feeling so positive towards the administration. For a long time, um, communities in Maui have been saying that they've been outpriced. It was the poorer communities who were affected more um, by this fire and they tended to lose more people. So that was already kind of going on in the background. He turns up, uh, has a walk and talk with you know people with dogs, that rescue dogs that sniff out human remains and, and people trapped and that kind of thing. And he's already feeling a bit awkward and he's just like, oh, I hope you've got boots because the ground is hot man it's a it's a hot gr- 
ground, which, you know, came off as insensitive, but also he was trying to just be like, watch out for yourselves. The ground is harsh. There are, it, there's so many ways this could go wrong. And I've seen it go wrong with Australian prime ministers, you know, people refusing to shake their hands. It's never a good look. It was also not helped that he was photographed on a beach in Delaware. Um, he said that he delayed going up to Maui because he didn't want his arrival to, you know, impact search and rescue missions Which happening. Which may be fair enough. Maybe fair enough. Um, and at least he didn't go and do like Trump did in a hurricane region, yes. start throwing toilet rolls at people. Yes, I think the response was more measured. Then he kind of gave a bit of an awkward speech about, I think he was trying to relate because he his property got struck by lightning and a fire started in the kitchen and he's like, I nearly lost my wife as well and my Corvette. That was but a bit tone deaf, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a clanger. That was, a, you know, a, a solid gold clanger. And isn't this the problem, Lorcan, that there's more and more of these clangers coming out and more and more people, even those who do not like Trump or want to see him re-elected saying, Really? Joe Biden? That's the best the Democrats have? It was an awful week for Joe Biden. A really, really bad week for, for, for a number of reasons. Number one, he's supposed to be good at this. This is the thing he's supposed to be good at, which is tragedy. Because he's had his own tragedies. He's normally good at relating to it. He's normally good at reading the mood. And normally he can make that connection. He got it totally wrong. He fell into an anecdote he's given loads of times before about how his house went on fire and that joke about I lost my wife and the Corvette, only joking. But... It just wasn't the time and place and he went into autopilot on it. So it was a really poor week for that reason. It was also a very, very bad week because any slip he has now, it's not just gaff-prone Joe Biden. It's, has he slipped? Is he too old? And whether he is or he isn't, any mistake is seen through that lens, which is an issue for the election. And then finally, it was a very bad week for a wider um, lens and kind of bad week for everybody, actually, because one of his big things has been he's been very, very good on the war in Ukraine. He's been very, very strong in the war in Ukraine. Americans are isolationists by nature. We might not think it because of one particular war, but in general, the American public is isolationist. The Republicans are isolationists. They're all saying we shouldn't give any more money to Ukraine. What's happening at the moment is the amount of money that's being given for this disaster is being contrasted directly with the amount of money that's been given to Ukraine by America. So it's been 700 euro per person affected, 700 dollars obviously, uh, per person affected um, in Hawaii and it's about 1,700 euro you know, per person in Ukraine if you break it down. And there's people on the ground saying, hang on, why are we not getting that money? Why are you giving it to Ukraine? So that's going to be one of, big, one of Biden's big election points. I stood by Ukraine. We're big in geopolitics once again. The more those kind of comparisons come in the more affected he is. Something I hadn't planned to bring up and you're probably not prepared for but I'm bringing it up anyway the issue of fires because you mentioned Brianna about your father being a firefighter and Australia has had many issues in recent decades with fires but do you get a sense that the reporting that we're hearing now that there seems to be more fires and bigger fires taking place as we progress in the 21st century and that all logic suggests that this has to be linked to man-made global warming. Yeah, there's a couple of things with this. Um, and I was looking more sort of at the, the fires in Greece and in Europe, um, which have been un- well, unprecedented. They haven't had as big a fires on record, which Australia goes through really bad years and then kind of comes through. And then we have a really awful year again. So we've been seeing big fire fronts, probably not on the level that we saw in 2019. That was multiple fires joining up, but there's 
fires were also man-lit. They were some of them were arson. Um, but what is also happening is the conditions. So if you have a, like we call a tinderbox of a state, which is when you have dry, you have um, loads, which is, you know, things haven't been clearing. If, if you change animal habitats, that changes how much uh, vegetation is being eaten. So all of a sudden, if you've got less animals, you've got more plants, more plants is more fuel to burn. Um, so you have a lot of things changing in the natural environment that could contribute to the big fire loads as well as, as global warming. So, and that's the important point. Yes, arson is a factor, yeah. but arson wouldn't be as damaging a factor if you didn't have all of these conditions caused by global warming to act as an accelerator. Well, it's global warming and also just the destruction of the natural environment, human intervention, I guess, which kind of leads to global warming, but it's also irresponsible development. And I know it's something you keep close eye lurking on what goes on in American politics. The Republican debate this week on Fox News, instead of looking for ways to deal with global warming, starts with a question, who of the candidates believes hands up in man-made global warming? Yeah, the, the irrelevant Republican debate, given who we all know who the nominee is going to be, but absolutely, it's uh, it's incredible uh, in the in the day and age that we're in, that there is a hands up and that the response even of, of Ron DeSantis to it was, we're not school children, let's have a debate here, we're not going to put up our hands. So, you know, a deflection w- within that. I mean, look, there's no sense of a shared understanding of the reality of what's happening in America. There probably is closer to it uh, in Europe that at least there's a shared understanding. I'm not entirely sure that there's a a, b- a better action coming out of that shared understanding necessarily, but the fact that, that that America do not have any sense of a shared understanding, and that if if the Republicans do get back in, we're going to claw back any of the progress that has been made immediately. So sometimes I like, I write about U.S. politics. I'm into U.S. politics. Sometimes I think it's not really relevant to us. I it's think this election is relevant. it's incredibly relevant because of Ukraine, because of the climate crisis. This the next election is really, really relevant. And as you said, I don't think either side are particularly well equipped going into it. And economic protectionism as well, add into that as well. Uh, Brianna, we have to bring it up with you as our resident former Rosetree <laughs> contestant. From what year was it, remind us? Uh, 1920, 1925. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping 2016. 2016, yeah. Okay. I don't know, seven years ago, eight years ago. I don't know. I can't do math. Okay. Off the top of my head. Did you watch this week's? Event? I did. I was, I was, did reviewing you enjoy it, it for the Irish Times. It's much more fun to watch when you're not on stage. And, you know, it's so funny because I, I see lots of my fellow Sydney committee members in the background because they pan through the crowd and there's always like someone kind of like yawning into the distance or, or being caught out. So I watch it for my friends. But it is really nice, I think, to watch. You go into it feeling very cynical and you're like, ah, oh, this is just like lovely girls and there's going to be poems. and oh. But then when you see like the proud parents and you hear the stories, and you're like, these are young women just doing their best. And that is very hard to make fun of. Um, and and you can't, you know, if you want to make mean tweets, you just feel too mean and cheap-spirited to do that. There's something kind of really earnest about it that, that makes it hard to be too cynical about. But yet, I mean, there would have been colleagues in yours in the Irish Times arguing in the last week that RT should not be broadcasting this because it's demeaning and undermining of women. And even some people going so far as to say there shouldn't be this festival at all. What do you say to them? I mean, it's, I think it's, there's always this really interesting thing about a dichotomy between something is empowering or something is demeaning. There are a lot of things that are neither. 
I don't think the Rosa Trilly is particularly empowering. I don't think it is particularly demeaning either. It just exists. I think it exists more as a neutral concept and that's fine. Um, I understand that like people are, like have a right to have those opinions, but for me as a feminist, I'm like, I have so many more worries on the, on the plate. I've got childcare costs. I've got, you know, pay disparity. I've got trying to equal the, the workload in the home. And the Rosa Trilly falls way down my list personally. What about for you, Larkin? Did you watch any of it? I didn't watch any of it, but for the people who do watch it, they get joy from it. And why are we trying to take joy away from people? When people decide that they get... some people feel empowered by it some people just enjoy yeah. watching it some people get joy from it some people like watching it so they can critique it I generally do not get the, the critiques of it if it hadn't moved on at all since 1925 you know if it hadn't yeah. if it hadn't shifted one iota then possibly if it was still the same I'm not saying it's some you know massive modern event now but it has shifted it has changed they are representative um, to a degree they could perhaps be more representative but they are at least to a degree I do not watch it. I do not get anybody who feels it is worth inches, column inches, whatever, to critique it, even a tweet to critique it. Let people like what they like. We'll be back to discuss what happened with the presentation of the World Cup to the Spanish football team and the actions of the Spanish football president who is refusing to resign and must become known as Spain's Me Too moment. We'll talk to Brianna Parkins and to Lorcan Nine about that when we come back after this break. OK, Brianna Parkins from the Irish Times and Lorcan Nine, head of training at the communications clinic are with us. So Lorcan, explain what it was that the Spanish football president did at the presentation ceremony for the winning team of the World Cup last weekend in Australia. So as uh, one of the players um, was getting a medal and, and then and going up to him, uh, he grabbed uh, the, the, the player, uh, pulled her into him effectively and, and kissed her on the lips, uh, Jenny Hermoso. Uh, it was unbelievably inappropriate, I think, at every, everybody said in the moment. Um, I don't think anybody has said anything other than since Barr, uh, the, the, the head of the Spanish FA. So that's what started it all. There was then a bit of damage control done while they're on the plane in that, you know, he put out a statement, the FA put out a statement that basically said, this was all fine. It was a spontaneous event, had quotes from the player in question saying, basically, this is all grand. We have a great relationship. Um, she had said on social media afterwards that I did not like it in an Instagram live video and yet then this statement came out but what has come out since then is basically they were not her words she did not say what was said in the statement she did not say that it was all fine the, the Spanish FA put a bit of pressure on wrote words for her and put out the statement so that all eventually came out this kicked off in a massive way in Spain has been dominating the coverage in Spain um, consistently through government ministers have got involved the Prime Minister has got involved and basically everybody has been saying this was incredibly inappropriate yeah, and overshadowing winning the World and Cup. And overshadowing winning the World Cup. And now today it has gone into a different stratosphere. This morning, no well, this morning uh, in Spain, all the headlines were he's going to resign. He had a very bad apology. He did the usual. I'm very sorry, but actually anybody who's criticised me is an idiot. They said, that's not good enough. You, go, you need to resign. Therefore, he was going to resign today. He stood up in a press conference and instead of resigning, he said four times, I am not resigning. He had his Wolf of Wall Street moment and said, I am not leaving. Okay. He was, yeah, it was a bizarre press conference. I am not resigning. I'm not resigning. I'm not resigning. You had the women's coach nodding away as, and applauding him. You had the men's coach applauding him. And then since then, the Spanish government has come out and said, all right, you might not think you're leaving, uh, but we're going to make sure that you leave. What do you make of all this, Priyana? I mean, these are legacy problems. We we had issues from, you know, 2022 
2000, yeah, sorry, my brain just stopped working then. It's, yeah, it's the year 2023. So yeah, last year, 2022, um, we had problems with their manager and we had the last 15, uh, which were, you know, they called it a mutiny, but it was 15 players on that national team saying, we will not be selected. We don't want to be part of this. We don't like the manager. Um, we don't like the way he's running things. Some of the allegations were that he was coming into rooms. He demanded that players keep their doors um, open and he would go around turning off the light switches and closing their doors for them. They said that made them feel uncomfortable. The um, the Spanish um FA backed that manager. He was at the game and you could see at the end they snubbed him completely. They just walked past him. They didn't want a bar of him. And then now to have a president also acting up in this way and I just, you know, to hear that quote, I didn't, I did not like it, but what could I do? And I think that's something that a lot of women, I would say 90% of women that I've known have had that moment in their lives of something happened, it was uncomfortable, but I, if I act up, if I slap this person in the face, if I don't just stiffen my body and go along with it and it'll be over soon, there will be consequences. So I I, you know, I just don't think it's, it's so a great sometimes example. people in positions of power are being in a public setting like that. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine the sort of like, if that happens to you, when you're actually in front of a crowd of 80,000 people on the ground, the TV cameras are on you, you're in the moment of emotion to go and collect your medal, and suddenly that happens, you're probably going to be completely frozen and not know what to do, will yeah, you? Yeah, it's the shock, and it's also... I think you, you're conditioned. There's a, there's a lot of conditioning that just to go along with it and it'll be over soon. I think we need to teach more women to to react violently, maybe. I don't know what the answer is. Can you imagine if she'd given him a slap? I know. And we would have been like, fair enough. Like, I, I don't think the backlash, but again, she's in that there position. There would have been war. There would have been war. I think so. And her future career would have been at stake. And that's the thing. It's like, do I, you know, pull up this person who's maybe uncomfortable or do I just stay quiet and advance my career? What's more? What matters more to me in this minute? And mm. you've seen in the press conference then today as well, he's now has started shifting his own story to say, she was the one who pulled me into her and I said, is this okay? And she said it was okay and it was just a peck. So they like had that full conversation yeah. before he lost. And he said this in the, in the press conference because she has I put out statements um, by her representatives to basically say, look, I want this to go, to go further. I, I was not happy with it. And now he's basically saying, well, look, you said you were fine. You you should be coming out and so talking. So he asked now. for permission to lob the gob. That's effectively <laughs> what, he, what, 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 he, what he's saying in his consent. press conference. And he's shifted into, I think what we we, we would recognise what happens consistently into this, yeah, look, I was wrong, I, I apologise unreservedly, but I am now the victim. He he said stuff yeah. like, I mean, this is a social assassination um, and that, you know, he's not going to go down without a fight. So it's this, he wants to do what he wants to do. Somebody has said no and he immediately thinks, that means I am now a victim. What's the story behind it with the England goalkeeper's jersey? Yeah, so violently popular at the minute because of that, you know, that that amazing save that she did, um, and they're not reissuing it. It's only like a limited number. You cannot get your hands on it. You cannot buy the goalkeeper's jersey. And then sort of this outcry to Nike being sort of like, well, hang on a second, are you supporting women's sports? Well, why can't we? Could you get a Jordan Pickford England goalkeeper's jersey? You could get a man's jersey. I could think you? so. Yeah. I think so. Yes. You, you you could indeed. And this is a kind of it's. it's been a, a wider issue for a while actually is that the jerseys you know traditionally weren't being produced um, at all yeah. um, and then they started producing um, some of them but they decided that the goalkeeper jerseys weren't good enough so uh, or that they wouldn't be sold in enough quantities and now Nike have backtracked to a degree but not enough that so the, the Matilda's goalkeeper uh, that jersey still isn't being produced yeah. uh, so it's only for a certain number of, of, of the players and whenever this comes up there's always this idea that well it's not their fault it, they know the market better than we 
we do and nobody will buy it as if they are absolute geniuses for the market and yet I think a really interesting comparison is the fast fashion the Chinese fast fashion is it, is it Sheen is she, it Sheen yeah. yeah their model is they throw loads of stuff up on the site one of them might become popular and then they produce that so they basically acknowledge I don't understand the market at all they flood it with loads of things with low quantities and then things become popular Does Sheen do GA inter-county jerseys yet? <laughs> Probably close enough to but so the market doesn't know so people decide that oh well of course they didn't do the women's jerseys because who would buy them alright and that's the constant thing when it comes to women's sport it's just people making calls and deciding after nobody's interested and therefore it's not worth time or Pe- attention people making or men making <laughs> perhaps men making Brianna alright uh, but yeah and I just think like it, this is a, the final example of it I mean it, it was built uh, the whole Women's World Cup has been a phenomenal success but it's been in spite of people not because of, of people who are currently in power and now they just need to get over themselves Brianna have you been in touch with people from Australia I mean what was their view as to the success of the Women's World Cup and what it's done for women's sport in Australia yeah so the Matildas are I think the only team in the world who are on pay parity with their male counterparts of being in the national team. Now, they, the men will make more money if they're playing in the Premier League and stuff, but we pay our athletes the same for being in the national team. No, and in fairness, I think in the Irish soccer team, do men now. and women are now paid exactly the same. Yeah. Seamus Coleman, the Irish men's captain, was very strong on pushing that a number you of years ago. should be commended ago. for that uh, yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's finally good to see. Like We had Matildas who were always stronger than the men's team. Our women's team were always stronger. They got to finals. I think like the Socceroos are useless. <laughs> I say that with love. Hold on, your men got to the World Cup in Qatar. What? Like, we've been to the World Cup twice in my lifetime. Um, and we had like a, like a long period where we were cursed. It was, it, we had like an 80 year period where we talked about being cursed. Anyway, um, so we had a difficult time where we, you know, players had to go on strike and do the usual to get to this point. Um, but yeah, women's sport. And we had another thing happening at the same time. We had the Netball World Cup and netball is actually the biggest sport played by participation in Australia, they didn't get any money. So if you won the Netball World Cup, you won nothing. There was no prize money. And it's one of the most popular sports in the world because, you know, the English went everywhere and they took netball with them. Um, and it was just not given the same uh, airtime as, as the Women's Soccer World Cup. Yeah, see, the, the figures actually are when it comes to televised sport, men and women, in Europe, only 13% of televised sport is female sport. In the United States, it's only 5%. But I think things maybe even like the World Athletics Championships can change that. Actually, this week, I've watched more of the women's <laughs> events than the men's because of Rashida Adeleke and Kira McGeehan watching those races, which are... Ireland's always been a bit stronger on women's sports. Like, I remember my first week uh, working in, in telly here, I was watching a panel on rugby and it was men's and women's rugby. I can't remember what it was, if it was like a Euro competition or something. And I saw all four pundits were female. Some of them were journalists, some of them were ex-players, but they were talking about the game. I had never seen that before in my career. I almost cried. Um, I have to say that Ireland is, is a lot better than Australia. I think maybe Australia's caught up since I've left, but I think Ireland's always been very strong in supporting female athletes. Okay, something else I want to bring up. I don't know if either of your TV soap star fans or fan Coronation Street, East and the rest of it. What's this uh, about getting rid of some of the best known uh, characters simply on the basis that they're paid too much? Yeah, be, because the viewerships um, have crashed significantly, uh, they're looking at cut, cutting down the wage bills. And obviously those who've been there longest are on the most money. So they're looking at, I suppose, writing in storylines where, where, where people get killed off because there's a couple of people in each of the soaps who are on over 200 grand. 
grand and that's now too much so I when when we were uh, growing up Carnation Street used to be on over dinner and, and Ken Barlow was on it Ken Barlow's still going uh, he's still getting paid uh, 200 grand <laughs> uh, and so he's one of the ones that, that they think might be uh, might be due to, to be cut I all had the theory that the reason soaps did so well was because you needed to find something that everybody in the family would not absolutely hate they might not like it <laughs> but they won't absolutely hate it and they can watch it all together while you're having dinner or while there's conversations going on and so the soaps then filled that void while now obviously everything is shifting to to, to streaming or watching back and therefore people are less likely to record Canary Street or EastEnders yeah, or they're less likely to stream Yeah, but maybe the issue is that they're on too often, that there was a time when they were events that might be on once or twice a week. Now if they're on nearly every night of the week, the more you give people something or something, the less special perhaps it is. Yeah, as viewership they, as of com viewers numbers are down 42% since 2014. Um, but I do think it is thanks to streaming. I think you've got so much more to watch. Like I got really into like a Korean drama series. I got into a Korean soap. Yeah, they're on Netflix. It was very weird for a while. Um, and it's like South African ones. Have you kicked that habit yet? I like, I just start watching things on like the watch menu. And I'm like, what am I watching? Turkish shows, soaps. Oh my God. The telenovas in Spain, in Spain they're also like I'm, I'm looking at Amazing. her ridiculously and yet we watch Home and Away and Neighbours. So. <laughs> So, you know, like we, we watched but Australian Neighbors, Neighbors had a bit of a wobble there and I think they were going off air and they've been saved by a UK channel. Um, again, the viewership is down. People have more options now. I don't know whether it's because it's oversaturation, like you're saying, it's every night or people just have other things to watch. All right, I'm going to have to leave it there. I'm out of time. Thank you, Brianna Parkins from the Irish Times, Lorcan 9, Head of Training at the Communications Clinic. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.